Well, good afternoon, good evening, or good night, nerds, whatever the case may be. It is I, your host, Jay, half of the Just Us Nerds podcast. No, this is not the Just Us Nerds podcast. This is me doing my solo thing again with another Watchmen review. So I'm going to be doing some spoiler talk around episodes three through five. So if you haven't watched those yet, I'll let you know where's the the point where you can jump out. Uh, overall, I'm continuing to love this series. Honestly, it's uh, it it's as I said in the first review, it brings so much new to the mythos while also feeling like it is firmly cemented in the world created by Alan Moore and David Gibbons. One of the things that I'm enjoying about the show is how we we get these character beats that are so evocative of the the source material but don't feel like like any sort of uh, retread or, or don't feel um, redundant or, or repetitive so uh, I guess that that's would be sort of your exit point if uh, you don't want to get any spoilers I would I would check out here at this point because it's it's gonna be spoiler territory from here on uh, so, as I said, I'm going to be going through episodes three and five. There's some threads kind of coming together now. We're we're getting a little bit more information about about everybody. So, episode three, we catch up with the Silk Spectre, uh, now known as Lori Blake. So, Lori has taken on her, her father's name uh, in the episode. Episode three, she was killed by space junk. And... Uh, Lori Blake enters the story, and we we find out kind of what she's been up to. So uh, that that's another thing too. I when I originally heard about the Watchmen show, I was I was thinking that, uh, and and this is back before we really had kind of any information. It was more just sort of teasers and sort of secondhand reports that it would be a show that was really fairly disconnected from the source material and that that couldn't be farther from the the case we are we are while we're hearing the being told the new story with sister knight we are also in the background getting some uh follow-up on characters from the original so we're, we get laurie blake she gets reintroduced to the story we find out that now she works for the FBI as part of an anti-vigilante task force. And uh, we get that great opening scene with her where she is making a, a call to Dr. Manhattan. So again, we, we, we know that Dr. Manhattan uh, still on Mars, or everyone believes he's on Mars. And, and I want to talk about something that... Uh, so when we first see Laurie, she's in one of these booths these kind of um very sort of when they i'm sure when they came out they look like kind of a 1950s sci-fi sort of uh booth which is meant to be able to uh enable people to send messages to dr manhattan and uh, what what this does is sort of tell us that the events of the original watchman uh right down to the attack in new york have really created a, a few cottage industries. So we have this the, these series of uh, these chain of of booths where people are able to communicate with uh, Doctor Manhattan 
and if I'm stumbling right now, it's because I'm I'm looking for the the name. We we see a name true T R I E U in that episode, which of course is foreshadowing of the character Lady True, who we get introduced to in episode four. But we get this this sense that there's been sort of a cottage industry created around these events, and that is a theme that's really sort of consistent with the original story. Um, when in in the original story, uh, Adrian Byte had a line of merchandise, uh, even action figures, based off of the characters, uh, Silk Spectre. I, I don't know if it was uh, Lori or uh, her mother, but had, uh, or maybe both of them, used their image as the Silk Spectre uh, for. Um, sort of for, for Hollywood and uh, to sort of market market their brand. So you, so you get a lot of this uh, this marketing. Another one which we come across later in Episode 5 with Looking Glass is this whole um, defense industry around future uh, interdimensional attacks that's been created now uh, as a result of what happened in... 1985 when Adrian Weiss perpetrated the uh, hoax on everyone. So uh, that that's just one of those little details that is there that I'm really enjoying how you you have sort of out of the, the events of uh, these uh, superhero type happenings that there is sort of uh, capitalism sort of steps in and creates cottage industries. So anyway, back to uh, back to Lori Blake. So that's where we meet her. She's in the process of telling this joke, which um, telling this joke to Dr. Manhattan, which is really a clever bit of exposition where she's kind of explaining uh, in kind of veiled terms what's happened to the different characters. We, we already got a sense. Um, we we uh we get a sense early on when she's met with Senator by Senator Keene that Night Owl has been in jail, has been imprisoned, and it's further confirmed by this joke that she's telling to uh, Dr. Manhattan. But then we see that we have that action sequence in the in the bank, which I enjoyed because they were sort of taking some swipes at uh, I, I'd like to think kind of playfully at Marvel and DC. So. Uh, Lori uh, and her team staged this bank robbery uh, in order to flush out this very, very similar sort of uh, Batman-esque character called Mr. Shadow. And I, I thought just the details on the costuming and even the, the voice were meant to evoke sort of Christopher Nolan's version of Batman. And um, so we had we had that, and then we also, uh, in... Uh, when Laurie later has a conversation with Senator Keene and talking about um, people that she's caught, then they they mention uh, uh, the Revenger, uh, or as Laurie corrects, no, there there was no the, it was just Revenger. So more kind of little details that that I enjoyed there. So, um, so we get a sense now that this version of Laurie has become somewhat embittered and she's portrayed as having a real hostility toward anyone that is in the the vigilante lifestyle 
and has really kind of done a 180 and really sort of embraced a lot of the character traits of her father, sort of seeing the idea of dressing up and trying to fight crime as something that, that, that's a joke and is kind of, kind of foolish. Uh, she is not a likable character for me. Uh, I, I, it, it is enjoyable watching her and watching her be a foil to characters like Sister Knight, and I really enjoy her interactions with Looking Glass, but uh, I, at least right now, she, she's not really, um, I don't believe she's written to be a, a likable character. Uh, you, you do, you do, I do find myself feeling sorry for her because I, I, I feel like there's a lot more to what's going on with her than has been revealed to us, and I, I, I believe that it, it will be revealed. Uh, I have to wonder, now that we have, so in episode, I'm going to jump around a bit, but in episode five, uh, Little Fear of Lightning, of course it is revealed that Senator Keene is actually a member slash leader in the 7th Cavalry. Uh, so it, it, it then begs the question, why would he want um, Lori in Tulsa? Uh, and I'm, I'm sure whatever whatever it is, it, it has to has something to do with the original Watchmen. Almost like he's gathering um, gathering her there for a, a, a purpose. Uh, so that I, I do find that very intriguing. So we're we're introduced to Laurie. She she now is sort of the I guess in a way a sort of an antagonist for Sister Knight because she is brought in to investigate the murder of Judd Crawford. Uh, as we said, we not uh, we get the sense from watching her, she's not a very happy person. Uh, she still seems very much hung up on um, Dr. Manhattan. Uh, I, I thought the, uh, the big blue magic wand was kind of an interesting touch to kind of let us, let us know uh, her feelings. Also, we get that allusion to Night Owl, which I thought was uh, that was very kind of cleverly put out there when Senator Keene says, now, you know, if I get elected president, you realize the president can pardon anyone that he wants, and I could even get your owl out of its cage. So we know that something has happened to Night Owl since the original Watchmen, perhaps because he continued being a vigilante, he was, he was then imprisoned, and kind of makes me wonder... Is Laurie doing what she's doing out of spite against superheroes, or is this more some type of deal that she made? Perhaps maybe they were uh, when Night Owl was uh, captured. Maybe there was more a more severe penalty that was going to be in place. Maybe they were going to kill him, and perhaps Laurie said, "Listen, I will I will work for you. I'll work for the government. I'll help you track down vigilantes if you spare this this one guy." I don't know, uh, but it is fun to make predictions and, and see kind of how they, they bear out. Um, in the, the episode three, we also get introduced to the Millennium Clock. Uh, and this is where we, so it's as Lori is, is flying in, uh, we, we get that little bit of exposition about the Millennium Clock and uh, another, our first uh, mention of Lady True. We don't meet her until episode four. But uh, we find out that she had spoken the, the, the words at the groundbreaking of, Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. 
So this line had interested me. It's, uh, it was used in the original Watchmen, and then that, of course, Dave Gibbons and Alan Moore had taken that from actually a, a, a line in a, in, a, in a poem from 1818 by the, the name of Osmandius, which is a poem written by English romantic poet uh, Percy Shelley. I uh, had to look this up. I don't, I don't know this off the top of my head. So the poem explores the fate of history and the ravages of time and uh, illustrates even the, 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 the greatest of men and empires are impermanent and that all things eventually die all all legacies eventually fade and decay into into oblivion which is an interesting it's an interesting concept uh, especially when this uh, the in episode 4 where uh, the term legacy is brought up again and lady true when we're introduced to her is in some ways I think meant to be sort of the the spiritual successor to Adrian Veidt. Um, she she does have several of his of his qualities, and so I, I see her as sort of the kind of the stand-in for him with this. But there is there this is one of the recurrent themes in this uh, in in this show is that of legacy. So we we open uh, the show opens with the Tulsa race riots, and then we have the survivor will and now uh will uh, uh approaches his granddaughter who is uh sister knight and so this is uh sister knight then goes to the uh, I, I can't remember what the name of the cultural center is to look at her family tree it's where she discovers that will is her grandfather so again we she's finding out that she she has this this connection and uh when they when they talk about masks on the show, uh, one of the things that they talk about is that people who wear masks they're uh, uh, often uh, not only a mystery to the people around them but also a mystery to themselves. So the mask is is not just that you don't know who I am, but I don't know who I am, and so this is why I wear this mask. And so this is sort of implied that uh, Sister Knight doesn't know who she is, and in looking. Uh, looking into her past and discovering that she is part of this man's legacy uh, is is sort of informing her of who she is. So you have the element of legacy there. You have the element of well, even just Osmandius's legacy. Uh, the I'm happy to say that one of the predictions that I made was correct. That the squid rain that gets introduced in the first episode is actually of uh Osmandius is doing we we learn about that in in episode 5 and it is to further perpetuate this uh this ruse that that he's created so uh yeah le legacy is one of, again one of those uh, it's a recurrent theme and I'm I'm interested to see where they where they go with this uh so so then episode 4 where we meet lady true now we get a bit more exposition about her. We learn that she's a trillionaire who's been living in Tulsa for a while, but a bit bit of a recluse, sort of a Willy Wonka-esque figure, and she's been building this this giant clock in in Tulsa. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a it's a clock. Um no way. This is this is I don't know if this is some type of other doomsday device or something kind of 
a la uh, what Adrian Veidt was doing in the original story, but you get a sense from watching Lady True. She has this interesting mixture of benevolence with menace. Uh, and the I found the scene with her and the Clarks uh, very interesting that their last name would be Clark on a superhero show. Um, very unsettling. Uh, something so... Uh, so if you remember at the beginning of episode four, we're, we're briefly in a montage introduced to the Clarks, who are this seemingly kind of all-American, very sweet couple that run a farm and um, kind of a... Uh, ha happy with each other, but kind of a bit of a hint of sadness in that uh, there's there's no there's no children, and then they get a knock at the door, and it's it's Lady True, who proposes to them a uh, that that they sell the farm and all of their land to her in exchange for uh, them being able to have a child because that she she knows that they had had tried and failed to have a child at a at a fertility clinic and that, that very disturbing moment where where Mrs. Clark is trying to throw Lady True out and Lady True says I think you've misunderstood me uh, I'm not saying I'm going to make your son I already made your son uh, I, I already did it in anticipation of our negotiation I took the liberty of creating your son there's something about that that is so like violating like I feel like when I watch that it, it's it's such a such a weird feeling because on the one hand she has satisfied this couple's need right she's she sort of she has made their wish come true you get a sense from the and I don't I don't recall the names of the actors who play the Clarks but they did a wonderful job of in the short time that they had wonderful acting the sort of the the sadness, sort of the hint of sadness at at not having children, and and so it's a it's an interesting moment when Lady True brings this baby. It is both happiness for the Clarks that all of their dreams have come true, and at the same time an incredible violation of of the Clarks. Almost like I, I don't want to. This might sound hyperbolic, but almost like she raped this couple uh, in a way. So it's it, she she does this this horrible violation and uses this this horrible sort of bargaining chip to get what she wants and ultimately she does because the the Clarks ultimately agree to sign the contract to sell their property and sell their land to Lady True. So in that that moment you it really tells us a lot about who Lady True is and when I I saw it it really made me think of Adrian Veidt that this is a character who she is. Um, single-minded she has uh, she has a plan and she is going to do whatever she needs to do to execute that plan uh, even if in, in, in her mind she thinks she's doing a good thing uh, regardless anything or anyone that gets in her way any obstacle she is going to go right through it so very interesting I, I want to see what happens next with this character we learn also in this episode that uh, she oh sorry before I get to that part she she has a daughter and so I'm I'm wondering about this daughter and what her relationship is with this daughter I'm wondering if this daughter is truly her daughter is this someone that she adopted a uh, little more of the sci-fi route is this a clone of herself uh, again that theme of of 
legacy, which she, she brings up at the beginning of the episode when talking with the Clark. So is she ensuring her, her legacy uh, at, through, through cloning? Uh, I, I don't know, but it's, uh, I, I can't wait to see what happens. Then also in episode four, we learn that uh, she's working with uh, Sister Knight's uh, grandfather, Will. Uh, they have some plan. We don't know exactly what they're doing, but it involves this Millennium Clock, and we get confirmation that she was very likely the one, if not herself person personally, Lady True, at the very least, ordered the rescue of Will and was responsible for airlifting him out in the car uh, when when that occurs in Episode 2. So, uh, I, I just... Oh, why not put forth some wild speculation? I'm going to say that their plan in some way relates to the Tulsa Massacre, perhaps some form of rectification or restoration or retribution in, in some way. I don't think it's any sort of coincidence, but um, uh, that that's that's my speculation. Lastly, I want to conclude about Episode 5 because I think this is my favorite out of the bunch. I, I think actually that this is probably my favorite episode so far out of the entire season so far. And it's it's a pretty it's a character-centric episode. We're following Looking Glass. And Looking Glass is one of those characters that I, I kind of, I liked him the, the moment that I, we met him in episode one. And uh, so I, I enjoyed learning more of his backstory. So we, we get this, in episode five, Little Fear of Lightning, we get this great character study on Looking Glass, who I should say is played masterfully by the very talented Tim Blake Nelson. A fun fact, while I was doing some research for this episode, Nelson was actually born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So how's that for casting authenticity? So the episode explores themes uh, of trauma and the ways in which traumatic events can affect our lives. We learn in this episode that uh, Looking Glass has been, or Wade, um, consults with marketing firms. And when we first meet him, he's consulting with uh, on, a, on a new advertisement, a uh, tourism uh, television advertisement for New York. Because since the events of 1985, uh, no one wants to go back to New York. There's a lot of fear around another attack happening. Uh, attack in uh, air quotes. You can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes right now. And what is interesting to me after I had watched the episode a second time is the irony of the line of Wade when he's telling the market the 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 marketers that the the folks hated the commercial and the marketers are going, what are you talking about? They, they said that they, they loved it. And Wade is, is saying, no, I'm telling you, they're, they're afraid they don't want to go back there. And the marketers just, again, are in disbelief. What do you mean they're afraid? They're, they're not afraid. And he says the line, what hot-blooded Oklahoma male is going to admit that he's scared? And so uh, he's, he's telling us something right there. He's he's actually telling us something about himself. Wade is telling us something about himself. For for a character who has been played up to this point as being sort of this emotionless, cool, under fire 
character, uh, sort of a almost sort of a Rorschach-esque blank slate, he is actually not. He is very afraid. He was very scarred. We learned that Wade was present that day, November 2nd, 1985, when Adrian Veidt uh, staged the attack that, that killed millions of people. We learned that he's afraid. We learn that him wearing the mask is not about uh, adopting some sort of identity, but it's actually a way that he chooses to protect himself because it is made out of this substance that they, they call in the show reflecting that is supposed to be a protection against psychic attacks. Um, the, the whole reflecting hat thing for me was reminiscent of the, the tinfoil hats that people wear to keep others from influencing their, their minds. So I, again, I love when uh, shows can be topical and can do analogies to things that we see sort of every day. And uh, another line that Wade says, excuse me, it's not Wade, it's actually one of the marketers. Uh, Wade's telling them they're they're not going to go there, they're they're afraid. And the one of the marketers tells him, well, people buy things out of fear all the time. And of course, we find out later, that's exactly what Wade's been doing. He wears the reflecting caps. Uh, in order to protect himself, he has a early warning system, which he's bought from this company that uh, you kind of get a sense that it's it's likely a scam or likely doesn't work. He has this whole bunker that he's established to protect himself. So uh, it, there's there's a lot that happens in that opening scene that is it's giving us information about Wade, and then we we get the payoff later in the episode. Uh, I thought it was interesting in the opening scene where we see a young Wade, where he is, I, I don't know if that was the Church of Mormonism or, or whatever church where he's, he's on Coney Island, and um, the, the, it's sort of everything culminates with him getting tricked by the, by the young lady, and we, we kind of learn that that's sort, of, that's sort of his Achilles heel, isn't it? And um, really hasn't gotten much better since then, since he's fooled by the um the the woman who turns out to be a member of the seventh cavalry and um so then that moment where he's naked in the hall of mirrors and that what a what what you know some some foreshadowing there i don't know if it's not really foreshadowing if we already know that he's be, become looking glass but sort of just there naked um, completely exposed, completely vulnerable, sort of feeling ashamed. And uh, I, ironically, I, I wonder if was it the mirrors that kept him safe from the, uh, the attack? Uh, and then he would go on to become Looking Glass. Some interesting things happen in this episode. We get our first kind of look at the squid uh, in that, that great sort of pullback scene so we, we we're focusing on wade and he's sort of amidst all the bodies after the attack and we get that pullback from coney island all the way into the city and we see the we finally see the the, the squid translated for the first time onto uh onto the big screen uh for me just kind of further cementing this story in the watchman comic universe 
Uh, as I mentioned before, we learned that Senator Keene is a member of the 7th Cavalry. I, I did kind of see that coming. Uh, I, I wish I had kind of said it other words because I'm uh, I said it earlier because otherwise I, I think you might think I'm bullshitting about that. But uh, I, I did kind of see that coming. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was obvious. Maybe it wasn't. But I I, I, I saw it. Uh, and then uh, we find out that Judge Crawford was also a member of the 7th Cavalry, or at least that's what that's what Keene is, is saying. I, I don't know any reason that he would lie about it at this point uh because he's he's speaking he's sharing this with uh with wade and um i don't i don't know any reason to lie about that particular thing but uh, li likely this is the vast conspiracy that's alluded to by will when he's when he's talking with angela that uh, the seventh cavalry is actually has connections to to washington uh we finally learn in this episode episode five where Adrian Veidt has been all this time. And I want to say this is another prediction that I had. I had predicted that he was not, in fact, on Earth, but that he was he was likely someplace else. And we, we find out that he is he is some he is on a moon, what appears to be one of Mars's moons, and uh, which leads me to believe then that the person who imprisoned him there is actually Dr. Manhattan. And so Dr. Manhattan has imprisoned Adrian on this this world that he's created uh, with these these beings that seem to be uh, sort of born or or sort of Adrian harvests them out of the out of the uh, the lake. It's really kind of creepy. But if you remember t at the end of the original Watchmen, uh, Doctor Manhattan tells Adrian, "I'm I'm leaving this universe to go to one that's." A little less complicated and Adrian asks him so does this mean you you're no longer interested in life and Dr. Manhattan says no no I'm, I'm actually very interested in life perhaps I'll create some and so these uh, very likely these uh, the uh, servants that Adrian has had uh, I believe are, are the creations of, of Dr. Manhattan uh, but interesting to note though they are they do not they seem to possess kind of a rudimentary intelligence to be trained but not really a free will and not very good sort of reasoning skills um when you know obviously when the when the one butler I, I i'm blanking on the name right now is killed during adrian's play about the creation of dr manhattan and then uh i don't know if his name was uh phillips or something like that and adrian looks over to the other clone and says you're the new Phillips. Uh, and, you know, without alarm, the clone kind of uh, happily accepts it. You, you kind of get a sense that these guys are not that bright. I, I sort of did a comparison between them and uh, if anyone watches Family Guy, the, uh, the whenever Stewie would create a, a clone of himself, he called it Bitch Stewie, which sort of this imperfect clone of himself that would do whatever he wanted and uh, sort of had very kind of minimum intelligence, um, kind of the bare minimum required to uh, to perform things. So, so yeah, um, I thought the moment where Adrian creates the message out of the dead bodies was such a direct callback to the tales of the Brack, black the Brack, the Brackish, no, the tales of the Black Freighter. The protagonist in that story. Uh, uh, creates, of course, the Tales of the Black Freighter, if 
you're not if you're not knowing what I'm talking about uh, in the original Watchmen comic, there is a there's a comic within a comic. So there's a kid who's reading this pirate comic book throughout the entire story. I, I feel like that's kind of unnecessary. If you're a hardcore Watchmen fan, you're going to know that. So, uh, and as the protagonist of that story of the Tales of the Black Freighters trying to get back home, he makes a raft out of the the bodies the decaying bodies of his crewmen so I, I felt like making that message out of the dead bodies uh, was a direct callback to that the episode concludes with some shocks and some heartache so uh, shocks being you know sister knight getting arrested but not before she swallows a handful of nostalgia so we learned that these are pills Originally, nostalgia in the comic was just a, it was a perfume uh, that was a part of Adrian Veidt's brand, but now we learn that uh, this particular nostalgia is actually a, a, a memory pill, but a very special memory pill. When you take it, it gives you the memories, uh, kind of almost acting kind of like the poncive in, uh, if, if you've seen Harry Potter, sort of if you can store your memories in these pills and then you take the pills and you can relive the memories. Uh, we're given a bit of exposition during the story that if you if you take these pills and the memories you're reliving are not your own, it can induce psychosis. So uh, next episode, it's looking like is going to be all about Sister Knight and what she experiences uh, after taking those pills. And we're going to, of course, learn more about uh, her ancestry and what Will went through and, uh, again, sort of fulfilling this this character arc involving involving legacy. Uh, so we get that. We get uh, uh, Looking Glass, Wade's betrayal of her to Lori Blake, and uh, and then the heartache, and then the heartache because after all that, uh, you you get a sense that Wade uh, feels bad for what he's done, but uh, of course with with good reason he uh, for doing it he uh, turned in. Angela, because uh, he was under the belief that if he had not, that uh, that Green was going to have her killed. I I do think that that was a lie. I think that Green has plans for Angela, but uh, I I think this was uh, I I think this was a way, as he had said, just to kind of remove her from the equation. Because why why would he set up this thing where he has uh, Looking Glass? Um, narc on her when he could just have her killed it would be just as easy 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 rather to to do that so the heartache yeah at the very end of the episode we we have we see uh, wade walking out to his trash taking the the, uh, the squid alert for lack of a of a better term out to the garbage walking back into his house and then and then turning around and coming and, and getting that squid alert and which i found so interesting he knows that it's bullshit he knows that it's all not real, but it has become so entrenched in his in his behavior now that even though he knows it's not real, even though he knows that there's no such thing as interdimensional squid monsters that are going to come back and get us, he can't let go of his security blanket. And then, of course, we get in the very, very last moments of that scene, the 7th Calvary, um, piling out of a van outside his house, uh, loaded for bear, and uh, it not looking too good for our friend Looking Glass. So we don't see 
his death. Uh, I'm I I'll, I'll be pleasantly surprised if we have uh, a surprise. Pleasantly surprised if we have a surprise. Yes, uh, I'll be pleasantly surprised if he survives. But I I, I think that this will probably be the last that we see of uh, of Looking Glass. So as we identify the the factions here. Uh, kind of looking at episodes three to five, we can we can see I see it as sort of we have the Lady True side, and on the other side we have Senator Keene and the Seventh Cavalry. So we definitely know that Senator Keene and the Seventh Cavalry these are not good people, um, but I don't know that that makes Lady True good people either. So really really interesting. They're they're in opposition to one another, but we can't really say that there's a good guy. Here, uh, if if anyone's a good guy on the show, it, it's it's got to be Angela, uh, sis, sister Knight. Um, already mentioned uh, Adrian's captor, very likely Doctor Manhattan. I I can't wait till we actually see him. I uh, I, I know uh, it's been teased in some of the sh uh, show trailers that uh, he he will be coming back to Earth at some point. Um, and as I said before, I'm very interested to know why did Keen assign Lori, or he didn't assign Lori, but he was definitely pushing Lori to go to Tulsa, and how is it related to the original Watchmen? So that is it uh, for my spoiler review for episodes three to five of Watchmen. I am just enjoying the hell out of this show. I hope you are too, and if you have an opinion about what I'm saying, write me back. I want to hear about it. Write us at justusnerdspc at gmail.com or leave a comment on the SoundCloud. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, give us a, give us a like and uh, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast. All right. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you later. Bye.